Sportsnet tonight, Saturday evening edition. Good evening, everybody. I'm Roger Lejoie with you until Leaf game ends tonight as the Leafs take on the Boston Bruins at Scotiabank Arena between then and now. Well, we'll keep you up to date on the Maple Leafs. We'll have Brent Gunning, Gord Stella come in and get you caught up in everything that's happening in the Leaf game. We'll talk a lot of Raptors, a lot of NFL and much more in the next couple of hours. Great to be with you on this Saturday evening, wherever you are listening in to us. And the poll tonight on Twitter is one that is near and dear to a lot of people who work in the sports business, and I'm one of them. I do work for the Ottawa Senators, and I know the Toronto Maple Leafs, all Canadian-based teams, have the same concerns. In fact, throughout the NHL, throughout the NBA, our fans comfortable yet at coming back to sporting events how comfortable are you now nhl attendance is down slightly not greatly but slightly nba attendance same thing i'm not sure about the nfl but i suspect it's the same kind of thing but the majority of nfl games are outdoors so maybe and they're all played in the united states where people's feelings about covid quite frankly are very different than they are in canada so The show poll question tonight really concerns not just the province of Ontario, but Canada and teams and sports fans in particular. The question is, which of these best describes your level of comfort in attending full capacity sporting or entertainment events? You can find the poll at the Raj 590 on Twitter, at Fan590. Like your comments on text, 590-590. If you're texting, put your name and your location, please. On Twitter, as I said, email roger at sportsnet590.ca, and let's hear from you tonight. i got to say I'm not terribly surprised that this poll is as tight as it is. First, there's four choices. Number one is very comfortable. So would you describe yourself as a sports fan who's very comfortable attending full-capacity sporting or entertainment events? And I'm assuming by that, obviously, you, since the regulations have been uh, loosened, you've been here or somewhere. Second choice, I'm okay with it. So, okay, you're not comfortable, but all right, you know what, I'm good with it. Maybe if you've been to a game or two or you're going to go to a game, so you're okay. Not very comfortable, but okay. Still a bit nervous. I would put that one in with you, That and a lot of people have already responded, given comments to that, and it's trending pretty high right now. So you're not really okay with it. You're nervous. It's still maybe too soon for you. And fourth response, the opposite of very comfortable, no way, I'm going just yet. Your thoughts welcome throughout the course of the night. So far, 33.8% of you are very comfortable attending full-capacity sporting or entertainment events. 24.4% are okay with it. 23.9% still a bit nervous. And 17.8% of you say, no way, I'm going just yet. So if you break that down, that is, oh, math math skills, don't fail me now, 58.2% of you are either very comfortable or okay, and 41.7% are still a bit nervous, or there's no way you're going just yet. That's a pretty close vote when you think about it. And I know the relaxing of the capacity rules met with a lot of 
I don't say controversy, discussion when they first came out. We've had a while to settle it down now. Senators have played uh, seven home games. The Leafs have played, I believe, five home games. There's another one tonight. Leafs not selling out any of their games yet this season. So a little bit of a drop there. So is that because you're nervous? Does it, is it COVID-related? And I'd really like some feedback, because maybe some of you, maybe economically it's not working for you. COVID has affected a lot of us in a lot of ways. A lot of people lost jobs, didn't get recalled, or did get recalled, and things were tighter, or you've stayed home a lot more to look after the kids, and there's been extra costs involved. So your thoughts on this, what I think is an important issue, are welcome throughout the course of the night. Are you very comfortable attending full-capacity sporting or entertainment events? Are you okay with it? Are you still a bit nervous? Or would you say, no way, I am going just yet? At the Raj 590 and at Fan 590, uh, give us your responses. We'll read them throughout the course of the show. Uh, Stephen Lung coming up in just a couple of seconds. He's the NBA and Raptors editor at Sportsnet.ca. We'll talk to him about the Raptors. They take on the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. uh, Pascal Siakam back in the lineup for the Raptors. That's obviously great news. How does that affect the next couple of weeks? And the fact that the Raptors are able to go 6-4 and without him, that changed your expectations maybe for the Raptors this year. I think a lot of people were, and I mentioned this last week when I was on, I said the same, I've had a hard time trying to handicap what my expectations were of this team. I thought, all right, a couple games over 500, at least. Bottom tier playoff team. But boy, uh, frustrating loss against Cleveland. We'll talk to Steven about that um, in a few minutes last night. But take that loss aside, I think the Raptors are pretty good. They battle hard. They're well coached. They've got a good system. They have an excellent head coach. Lots to discuss there. Uh, practice audio from earlier today, Nick Nurse and Pascal Siakam. We will have that uh, for you uh, later in this hour. Brent Gunning and Gord Stellick will pop by during the intermissions. Uh, they're, of course, the host of the Leafs Nation pre- and post-game show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, including tonight's post-game show. Alex Chippen is an NBA editor at The Score. We'll run down all the NBA games with him. And Greg Thompson, host of Cover One, the Bills podcast, will talk about the Bills as they look to continue their excellent season so far. But joining us now to talk about the Raptors, as promised, Stephen Lung. He's NBA and Raptors editor at Sportsnet.ca. Stephen, thanks very much for joining us. Always great to chat with you. And, hey, this is great news. Pascal Siakam returning tomorrow against the Nets. And, Stephen, I would normally say not a minute too soon, but when you look at the 10 games the Raptors played to start the season without him, the returns were pretty good, were they not? Yes, uh, thanks for having me on, Raj. And I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, I was hearing you like uh, before you introduced me, and like I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, or I, I am pleasantly surprised at uh, how well this Raptors team has performed so far. Like, I, I was a little down on them. I did not believe that, like, kind of going so going all in on defense would uh, really kind of bring back the kind of returns that we've seen so far with this, uh, with this team. But clearly, uh, you know, like this, this is why I'm, I'm not a member of the Toronto Raptors, you know, like their, their brain trust knows a lot more than me and, you know, having a bunch of long athletic guys who can, you know, get their hands in passing lanes and be very solid defensively and be able to switch one through five has, you know, 
been really, really good for this team and it's fueled like this transition attack that I that I think is uh, you know catching a lot of teams by surprise, and that's why they they've got out to like the the pretty good start that they've got out to now. Stephen, should we be surprised that Nick Nurse and the coaching staff have found a way to make the best of what they have with this roster and the addition of Siakam now should even make them uh, that much better? Maybe it's, uh, you know, we look back to last year's results, which were so poor, but was an, it was an injury-riddled season. Uh, there was the COVID situation. There was the fact that they didn't play a home game. And now in retrospect, when you take a look at it, I know my feeling about what they've already got to work with, never mind in the next year or Scotty Barnes' development and we'll get to him in a second but this coaching staff has shown they know how to manage a roster yeah for for sure um but like i i also think like uh you know like the, the coaching i think the coaching staff knew what they had you know like obviously working with a lot of these guys getting back to the summer you know like after, after they were shortly drafted but um that's why i think for you know a lot of us just observing the games you know a guy like delano banton so he, he kind of came out of left field for, for most people, right? Like, I think most people expected that he would be 905 bound this season, and now it looks like he's a pretty integral part of the Raptors rotation. Um, I think people expected Scotty Barnes to be, you know, pretty good. I don't think they expected him to be this good immediately, right? Um, or another name like Svi Mihailik, right? He, he seems to be a very pleasant surprise in, in terms of, uh, you know, like shot making, which was a major question coming into the season and he seems to have resolved that particularly as you know like when when the the Raptors needed to go to their second unit you didn't you didn't really see much offensive firepower he's a he's a name that you didn't expect that uh, the coaching staff clearly had an inkling of uh, that they can turn to and you mentioned you know like the return now of Pascal Siakam uh, like I I think uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what Nurse does with his rotation and, and like who moves back to the bench and, and who gets kind of cut out of the rotation. But I think these are all good problems to have because obviously Pat, I think Pascal Siakam is their best player and he should definitely make them better. No doubt about that. So, Stephen, it's interesting, and you're right. We'll we'll see what uh, Nick Nurse decides to do in terms of playing time of certain individuals. But I gotta believe it will not be a pronounced amount of time that has to be uh, accounted for in the early going, because given the fact that uh, Pascal was coming off a, a difficult season, the injury, the surgery, missed the first ten games of the season. I gotta believe there's going to be a, a I don't want to say a severe minutes limitation, but they're going to ease him back into this lineup pretty slowly right yeah so i was at practice today when uh when nurse announced that pascal was going to be uh returning uh tomorrow and he mentioned that there will probably be a a limits uh limits minute or, or, or a minute's limit on uh on him and uh and uh he's interestingly enough like he mentioned how not sure if pascal is going to start tomorrow or not now personally i would I, I would start him just just to see what you what you have immediately. You know, like get him comfortable back in that role, and if that means he will have to like maybe sit out for a lot of the second and third quarter, and then and then you kind of use him mostly in the fourth quarter, that is perfectly fine. But I I, I would anticipate that he's going to start, which means you know like probably someone like a like a Gary Trent Jr. is going to move to the bench. 
We shall see uh, tomorrow against the Nets at 3.30. Stephen Lung, NBA and Raptors editor, Sportsnet.ca. I'm Roger Lajoie, Saturday night edition of Sportsnet Tonight. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so last night uh, they lose 102-101 to Cleveland. Cleveland is an improving team. They're scrappy. They're 6-4 and four to start the year. They're not the, the, the Cavaliers of the last couple of years, so I'm not going to make too much of that and Siakam being out of the lineup. But, Stephen, when you have the lead the Raptors had for most of the game, and kind of squandered away. What did you like and what didn't you like about last night's result? So what I liked the most about what they were doing is um, it was particularly seen in that second quarter when, uh, you know, like I mentioned how they used their defense to feel their offense, and that was a prime example of it, right? Because, like, they were getting, you're seeing, like, block shots, deflections, steals, and they were converting those all, like, majority of them pretty much all into... Uh, you know, fast break transition, semi-transition, like easy buckets, right? But then it looks like, um, I'm like, I don't even know if Cleveland made an adjustment, right? Because the Raptors were still forcing Cleveland to turn the ball over in the second half. It's just like their their fast break attack wasn't quite as sharp in that second half. And they were, and they had guys, you know, like perhaps filling the lanes, like incorrectly or guys trailing when they should have been pushing and, and things of that nature, when, and that kind of uh, like kind of halted their momentum because all of a sudden when they had when they should have had like a transition bucket they had to get into the half court and, uh, and like we we saw like the kind of duel down low between Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley and like like those two were kind of taking turns basically stopping each other right and I, I think that that kind of killed a lot of the Raptors momentum and allowed the Cavaliers to crawl back in. Indeed it did, and uh, they got a one-point uh, victory as a result. So Scotty Barnes returns uh, last night, and the Raptors 6-4 and four without Siakam and, and without Barnes, of course, who missed some time with his injured thumb. How does his role shift now that Siakam is back? So uh, that's, that's the million-dollar question, right? Because like we've, we've seen Scotty Barnes being able to, like I'm, I'm going to say, like freelance, right, on, offensively, where – he can he's because he's such a smart basketball player and he understands how to play the game so well he knows how to cut where to um when he has the ball in his hands to make the right decision to pass things of that nature but obviously i think that will be more limited with pascal siakam because siakam is going to have to have the ball in his hands and this will this may also like uh shift og ananobi's role a little bit as, as well right with with siakam as a primary guy but Specifically on Barnes, I think for for him, um, if, if, as long as he keeps finding space, you know, like uh, uh, as a cutter from like the dunker spot or, or whatnot, he should still be able to to score. He probably won't score as much, but I'm really interested to see like if he can develop. Uh, we can have like a big on big pick and roll situation here between him and Siakam, wh- where Barnes is, comes up as the ball handler because he's he's basically a point guard. Right, and and because he's so skilled, he we could create some some fun two man action between him and, and Siakam. So like that's what I really want to see, and I'm hoping we, we get to see some of it uh, tomorrow. Well, we shall see. And again, three thirty start uh, against the Nets tomorrow. So Raptors don't get to the line very much at all last night. Just nine times to the Cavs, nineteen times. Certainly, the refereeing was a topic of discussion amongst Raptors fans online. Couldn't help but notice that after the game. What did you think of those discrepancy in numbers, Stephen? And are the Raptors just the 
victims of some poor officiating, or do they have to force uh, some fouls a little bit more by getting to the hoop a bit more? Um, I, I don't think that they were a, a victim of poor officiating because you could also say that, like, around the league, everyone thinks they're a victim of poor officiating because the league has shifted. Uh, the rules have, have shifted this this season to allow a much more physical game, right? Like, uh, like defense can can allow you, you, defense can can very nearly like you know like back back in the day when you could hand check, the defenders can they can't quite do that, but they can do something pretty close to it. And and like they're they're not allowing you know like uh, like these what we're going to see them tomorrow James Harden kind of kind of calls all over the league, right? So I actually think this has helped the Raptors, you know, particularly being a team as you know like potentially uh, defensively devastating as they can be, because uh, you know you you have to believe that along the way while while they're getting stops. They're they're actually committing you know two or three fouls along the way that just are not being called anymore. So I think it's it's kind of a double-edged sword where yeah the Raptors are probably getting some calls against calling against them, but defensively I think it's helping them very much. That's a, that's an excellent point. I I would agree with that. OG Ananobi, twenty three points in the loss. Certainly, he has developed into a a primary scorer and really had to as a result of Siakam uh, being out of the lineup. How do you see the season progressing with him now that Siakam is back? And of course, last night gets the opportunity to take the the last shot. But certainly, the Raptors got to be pleased with the fact that he accepted the extra pressure. I think quite graciously. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think I think it's only going to help him that that Pascal Siakam is going to come back because I, I I don't see him to be as like like as much of a feature guy as I guess most people do. But I seem to be like a like a very very strong kind of secondary scorer, right? So like let's say Pascal is Pascal's going to see double teams, right? Um, if if Ano if Anobi now has like the shot creation, you know, like he can he can create his own shot at the end of shot clocks. That all of a sudden adds an extra dimension to the Raptors' offense that they perhaps didn't have before. Because before it was probably a case where Siakam would get doubled, he's maybe spending a little too much time, and he kicks it out, and then Ananobi would have to take a contested just three in the corner. Now maybe he can pump the put the ball on the floor and get to the basket, maybe get a foul or or, or kind of or pull up mid range as as we've seen him do as more of a feature guy. So I think. Getting these reps as kind of like the guy will help both him as a scorer and it will help the team in general because they suddenly have two guys who they can probably pitch the ball to and and get a bucket. So we mentioned Brooklyn tomorrow, 3.30 at Scotiabank Arena. Then uh, a couple of nights later in Boston at TD Garden to take on the Celtics and then at Wells Fargo Center to take on Philadelphia. Brooklyn, Boston, Philadelphia, three Eastern Conference uh, teams that the Raptors figure to be in a battle with for playoff positioning, jockeying in the standings, and especially Brooklyn and with Philadelphia 7-2 and two start, teams they may have to chase, uh, Stephen. Another home game against Detroit and then six games consecutively on the road in kind of a western swing which ends up in also memphis and indiana tough chunk of the schedule here now so maybe the first 10 games were a nice surprise i think the next 10 games which i've basically outlined there could really give us a definition especially with siakam back how good a team this is yeah i I think it's a uh, very fair assessment because i think this stretch that they're about to embark here in the in the month of november is is the toughest stretch of their entire season, 
right? Like it, it says, just a killer road trip. Um, and I, I would hope that like uh, their experience at Tampa, they got used to kind of being road warriors a, a little bit, right? So, so perhaps that's why they've they've actually got off to such a good road start. You know, like I, I think they started four four and zero on the road. So, uh, but like to get back to your point, I think that uh, you know playing this many kind of road games is going to be the true test of, of their medal early on. And if they can come out of it, like lifting, you know, like playing the same kind of basketball, you know, that there are right now, we could, we should definitely look to raise the expectations of, of the team. You know, like I, I think the expectations were, were pretty meager to begin with. And I think that was fair before we saw what they are, but you know, the better that the team performs, I think the better outlook that you ought to have on them. Raptors six and four to start the season. Host Brooklyn tomorrow at three thirty at Scotiabank Arena, and a tough month of November stretch of games coming up, including a six-game road trip. We shall see how good they are at the end of that. Stephen Long, NBA and Raptors editor at Sportsnet.ca, joining us here on Sportsnet tonight. Always fun to chat, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Stephen Lung joining us from Sportsnet.ca. We'll hear from Nick Nurse and uh, Pascal Siakam from the Raptors practice later in this hour. Brent Gunning will pop by and he'll tell us what's happening in the Leaf game. And I'll tell you what's happening now is that they are five and a half minutes in to the first period and there is no score. Boston Bruins and the Maple Leafs from Scotiabank Arena. We'll keep an eye on the game, keep you updated throughout. Our poll is the topic of discussion tonight. And our poll is at the Raj 590 on Twitter or at fan 590 on Twitter and the question is which of these best describes your level of comfort in attending full capacity sporting and entertainment events are you very comfortable just okay with it still a bit nervous or there's no way you're going just yet more than 300 votes already in we thank you for them keep them coming 31.8% of you are very comfortable 24.2% are okay with it. So that's 56% of you who are really on the positive side of this. But 25.8% of you are still a bit nervous. And 18.2% say no way you're going just yet. Lots of comments as well. Jim tweets in and says, I went to my first sporting event on Thursday. Tampa Bay and Leafs at Scotiabank. It was well organized. Three stations. COVID screening. Ticket scanning, security check. One suggestion they should equip the uh, uh, staff with headband flashlights. Otherwise, awesome time. Jim, thank you. Uh, Moist Ben says, depends on the event. I went to a Broadway show with a vax mandate and high Mac, uh, mass compliance. I was 100% comfortable. I'm not yet comfortable with the NHL games due to the low mass compliance based on watching Leaf games. Uh, Moist Ben, thank you. It's, it is interesting because... I've had several people make that comment to me about Leaf games or any team's game, Senators, Jets, whoever, you're watching them. And when the camera's panning the stands, you're sort of expecting, if you are a person who really, even although you're doubly vaccinated, because if you're not double vaccinated, you're not going to the game anyway, but you want everybody wearing a mask unless they're actively eating or drinking. And you do see people who are not doing that and is that so much uh, is it really that bad inside the facility or is it a case of we just notice it more 
Every single time you see someone, maybe he's got the mask down for a second. I noticed during the playing of the national anthem tonight, a lot of people had their mask down and were singing. Um, I, I, that would make people uncomfortable, a lot of people uncomfortable. Uh, Dwayne tweets in, fly to Toronto on the 18th and there's a Leafs game, but still not going to take any chances on bringing something home to my wife who is recovering from transplant, even if it would have been my first NHL game another time. Dwayne, thank you. Best to your wife and smart. Better safe than sorry in that case. Listen, you want everybody feeling comfortable in the facility and everybody's family situation or level of risk is not the same. So good on you. You're right. Another time is right. Daryl says, of course, I'd love to be at the games, but I just don't feel comfortable yet. Life won't stop by my lack of attendance. I am sure I'll return to the games, as we are all sports fans, but I'd rather sit out a bit longer. We made some headway, but we are not out of the woods uh, yet. Thank you, Daryl. Joseph says, uh, after that photo of the least last home game, uh, you can never be very comfortable. I'm going to be just okay with it. Thank you, Joseph. And Canadian Boy says, this seems to support the lower attendance numbers at NHL games so far this year. And of course, he's referring to the tightness of the poll and the percentage of people still not happy or not confident enough to get out there. In the poll so far, with more than 300 votes, that's 44%. I think a lot of people involved in NHL teams would not be surprised with that. As I said, the Leafs up until, I don't know if tonight's game is a sellout, but up until tonight have not had a sellout, which is unheard of from them. NHL attendance is generally down across the board. So why is that? you got to think the COVID hesitancy might be a big part of it. Keep your comments coming. Really appreciate them. On Twitter at the Raj 590 Text 59590 if you're texting name and location or email roger at sportsnet590.ca. Nick Nurse talked to reporters after the Raptors practice today. We'll hear his comments in moments. As Sportsnet tonight continues, I'm Roger Lejoie on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. We are the most important part of your bedtime routine. This is Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet tonight on Sportsnet 590. The fan, good Saturday evening, everybody. Roger Lichois with you here. Until the Leaf game ends, and the Leaf game is one period old. Taylor Hall for Boston. John Tavares for Toronto. Tied 1-1 after one. Full post-game coverage coming up after the game with our own Brent Gunning and our own Gord Stellick. And Mr. Gunning joins us right now to talk about that first period. Brent, nice to chat with you, my friend. A lot of jam in that first period. A lot of shots. What did you think? I think exactly what you said. A lot of jam. I mean, we always talk about, did it feel like playoff hockey? Was there any apathy? And, you know, I think we all knew it'd be a little different with the American teams back in it, but nothing is as different as Boston in town on a Saturday night from the jump. You could tell it's just, it's it's right back on when these two teams are, are playing each other, a very engaged period from, from both teams. And yeah, it was just a very entertaining period of hockey. And it definitely had that feel of a Boston-Toronto game. Yeah, and you know, Brent, this is something we all know, but we really need to be reminded of because it's not the top of the mind, just how long it's been since the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs played a game against each other. 
I mean, like it's we go back. I mean, all of last year, the Canadian division, this great rivalry, and I think a lot of it showed. And credit to the Leafs because when Boston got that first goal, I think there was kind of a weird vibe maybe going on in the building. But thanks to Tavares and company, they evened it up. Yeah, it was. I mean, the the Boston goal it came on a power play. The the penalty that caused that power play was a little questionable. Jake Muzzin gets called for taking out. I can't remember which Boston player it was in the crease and and knocking the net off. And they called him for delay a game there. You know, it's the it's the kind of ultimate. You could argue either side of it. You know, I, I personally think Jake Muzzin has the right to uh, clear out the front of the net, but apparently the rule book says otherwise. Uh, and then Boston gets the first goal, and I'm sure there's a lot of people sitting in their building, sitting in that building. I'm sitting there on my couch thinking it, going, oh, man, here we go again. one nothing Boston. Does this game start to get out of hand? But credit to the Leafs. They they push back in a, a very weird goal of their own that they get credit for. But, yeah, a good pushback from them after surrendering the first goal to Boston. You have a sense, uh, Brent, that maybe the Maple Leafs, after that really difficult start, got to, took advantage of, uh, you know, uh, uh, a Chicago team in, in chaos and maybe a, a little bit of better of a schedule to get things turned around because uh, even even though every game is a struggle, it's a National Hockey League, it's tough. Watching them tonight, I, I don't know, I think they've got the legs back and if they can find a way to pick up two points against Boston, this could be a real momentum changer. I mean, hey, they're on a win streak right now. Yeah, that's that's right. And, you know, you can only take advantage of the teams that were there in front of you. And, yeah, the, the schedule was a little soft. But the Leafs needed it to be soft at that point in time. And they used it to kind of be the diving board. You know, it's not hard to jump off a diving board. But, man, you get a lot higher when you do than if you just jump off the side of a pool. And that's exactly what they did. They took advantage of a soft schedule. And then, oh, look, the back-to-back cup champs are in town. And what do you do? You beat them in overtime. Oh, look, your, your old nemesis Boston's in town on a Saturday night. What do you do? You have a really strong first period against them. So, yeah, they they use some kind of crummy teams to gain momentum, but then they have kind of since stamped what they gained with a win against Tampa. And so far, a good start against Boston tonight. Mitch Marner, of course, was the subject of a lot of criticism early, as was Tavares, the big guys not uh, getting the points they should. But it is the big guys in the first period getting it done tonight, and their numbers now starting to look pretty decent as we get deeper into the season, Bert. Yeah, Tavares and Marner, they they got off to slow starts. Obviously, Matthews did as well, but the injury kind of, you know, made that less of a storyline than it did. This team is always going to go as much as those four guys go. Yes, Morgan Riley matters. Of course, Jack Campbell's tremendous play matters, but they need the big four guys to be their best four players, and they've been that over this past stretch of games, so it's no accident to me that they, they find themselves winning them when the big guys do step up, Mitch Marner and John Tavares highlighting that. Brent Gunning and Gord Stellick will have Leaf Nation post game right after the game. We'll hear from both those gentlemen then, and Gord will join us later in the show in the second intermission as well. Enjoy the rest of the game, Brent. We'll be listening later. Thanks, bud. Thanks, Raj. Take care. Brent Gunning joining us, co-host of Leaf Nation pre and post game. One one after one. A couple of seconds. We'll talk some NFL with Alex Chippen. But right now, let's get back to some of your comments. On text, 590-590, Brandon in Cambridge says, I haven't watched a game of the Leafs this year. After last year's blown 3-1 to lead against Montreal and their exit interviews, I have lost a lot of interest in this team. Brandon, thank you. You're not the only one, Brandon. And situation with every team in sports that's trying to crawl out of COVID and get people comfortable of coming back into the arena again and keeping everybody happy to be a part of a crowd has been the focus, and rightfully so, 
of declining attendance around the NHL for the most part. However, this is the big factor, in Toronto, it's a lot of dissatisfaction with the Leafs as a part and parcel of it, and economics. There's a lot of reasons. So to point to just the subject of our poll as the only thing, the only thing, that is causing attendance to go down. I don't think that's accurate. You bring up a good point. You're the second texter uh, to talk about the dissatisfaction of maybe some Leaf fans after the Canadian division failings uh, last year. 590-590 is a text. Name and location if you are texting, please. Email roger at sportsnet590.ca. On Twitter at the Raj 590 is where you find our poll, and we'll update the poll a little bit later in the show. Gord Stelic will join us in the second intermission, but joining us right now is Alex Chippen, NFL editor at The Score, talk about uh, this upcoming week in the NFL. Alex, thanks very much for being with us. Um, The Aaron Rodgers situation uh, is incredible when you think of the entire way it all uh, came down with him testing positive for COVID. He said he was vaccinated. He wasn't. We go back and forth. But this whole Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay thing, when you date back to the end of last season, man, there's been a lot of drama around him, has there not? There sure has. I mean, talk about a talk about a crazy week in the NFL. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I think, managed to go from one of the most loved and popular players in the league to one of the most vilified players in the league. Um, obviously, dropped a lot of you know interesting things, I guess you could say, on the Pat McAfee show, um, and he's going to miss this week, and it, it will be um, a really an excellent opportunity not just for Jordan Love, but for the Packers to actually see what they have in Jordan Love. Because as we know, going back to that offseason drama, uh, it could very well be uh, Aaron Rodgers last year in Green Bay. And Jordan Love really has not had an opportunity to play in a meaningful game, in a meaningful situation until now. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they look against the Chiefs. It will be, and we'll talk about that game a little bit more in a second. Do you think this is a kind of, I I don't want to say it's a a death blow for an Aaron Rodgers, but it certainly taints the legacy, does it not, Alex, in in terms of the way this all uh, shook down? And we'll see how long he's out. We'll see, hopefully he recovers very quickly and doesn't miss a a step health-wise. Nobody wants to wish him any ill will health-wise. But you do wonder what it does when, when people talk about his involvement in this and how much he's talked about it in this day and age. I, I really wonder if he's, his the all-time perception of him might be permanently altered. I mean, that's true. On the other hand, Brett Favre says plenty of wacky stuff. And I think Brett Favre is, you know, his, um, I mean, I don't know, maybe Brett Favre's legacy has been impacted. I personally feel like Brett Favre is still as, you know, loved as, as he ever was. Um, there are people who understand that Brett Favre has some wild views, but, um, you know, for the most part, to the casual audience, I think, I think you know those people are mainly just focused on what they, on what players do on the field. And at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL before this. He will be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL after this. Um, this is just you know a, a crazy time to be alive. And and to be honest, there are a lot of people out there who agree with a lot of the things that Aaron Rodgers said. And while you and I might find those things a little bit um, absurd. You know, there are a lot of people out there who are applauding him right now. And so I, I think we can't really forget that. So, um, sure, his, his legacy might be a little bit altered, but this will pass just like everything else, right? Time heals all wounds. People will eventually move on and they'll focus on what he does on the field. And he'll still have plenty of critics um, away from the gridiron. And then he'll also have plenty of supporters. It, it's, you know, it, it'll, it'll really, you know, I, I don't think it'll severely impact 
the way he's viewed long term. But obviously, right now, it's a massive talking point and, and people are very emotional about it. Well, and you're right about that. And you're also right about uh, what a time we are living in, uh, <laughs> for sure, that this even becomes uh, a topic. Alex Chippen is NFL editor at The Score. Packers and the Chiefs among the games on a usual busy Sunday in the NFL. So let's talk about that game. The Packers have won seven straight games. It's the longest active streak in the NFL. They're 7-1 and one to start the year. Uh, I don't want to call them a big surprise because with Aaron Rodgers, there's no question the Packers are always going to be considered a team capable of contending. But what is going on in Kansas City? And they were fortunate to get by the Giants. And, you know, Alex, maybe a week or two or even three or four into the season, uh, Super Bowl loss hangover, uh, you know, maybe a couple of explanations, a couple of injuries. Four and four, eight weeks into the season. The Chiefs just don't look like the Chiefs. What do you think happens on Sunday? Yeah, I'm extremely concerned about the Chiefs. They NFL and turnovers, and a lot of those turnovers are not on, like, fluke plays. They are on just terrible decisions by Patrick Mahomes and just other players, um, you know, whether it's Travis Kelsey fumbling. Um, you know, it's just – it's kind of just widespread. They're making a lot of poor decisions. Everybody in the NFL knows that the Kansas City Chiefs want to create these explosive plays down the field. Teams are guarding that against that by playing a lot of cover, too which means you're putting two safeties to cover the deep portions of the field and forcing Kansas City to methodically march the ball down the field. And they don't have the receivers anymore to do that. You know, it's like Sammy Watkins, um, losing him was kind of big. Um, You know, Travis Kelsey, I I don't know if he's lost a step, but um, his production against defensive backs is significantly down. He still torches linebackers, but teams are covering him more with defensive backs and up the numbers that we're accustomed to seeing from him and at 32 i think it is fair to wonder losing a step and then the defense is just a nightmare and now they did pick up melvin ingram at the trade deadline from the pittsburgh steelers if he can help that pass rush it's really going to help that defense because that unit is very much predicated on the ability to pressure the quarterback and that's something that they haven't been able to do this year frank clark has been a, a really big disappointment but now when you talk about Ingram coming in, that's going to allow Chris Jones, their best defensive lineman, to move over from end to tackle where he has spent most of his career and where he is really one of the premier players at his position. So um, that's kind of like what's going on with the Chiefs right now. But at this point, it, it, they just don't look like a team that's ready to contend. And, you know, they're going to be going into a Packers team that I think is, is quite balanced. You know, one of, the th- one of the things that Matt LaFleur has done really well throughout his tenure is stay committed to the run game. And I think and that's something that Andy Reid, um, you know, could take a lesson from. Not that Andy Reid, um, you know, like at this point of Andy Reid's career, we all know that he just wants to throw the ball as much as possible. But the Packers are a lot more balanced, and I, I think you kind of see why that is so important. They don't necessarily need to be dominant in one uh, area of the game, whereas with the Chiefs, if they're not firing on all cylinders in the passing game, they're just kind of, you know, going to rot because they don't have the defense to make up for it and they're not going to run the ball. No, they are a one-dimensional team right now. They have changed a lot uh, in, in the course of just a, a season. You're right about that. They need the win, 4-4. Four and four. Packers are 7-1. and one. What's the expectations of Love and how the Packers handle this uh, on the road? Obviously, the Chiefs have caught a big break, a big break with uh, Rodgers uh, being out uh, for the game with the COVID uh, situation, but what do the Packers do? Well, I think the Packers should be fairly confident in Jordan Love. I mean, obviously, they drafted him in the first round, so they like the talent. And Matt LaFleur has a very quarterback-friendly system. 
He does a really good job of getting the quarterback outside the pocket where he can make pretty easy throws with receivers running away from defenders. Um, like I said, they're, they're always going to feature a run game with Aaron Jones, who is uh, probably one of the more underappreciated running backs in the league. And, and he's a guy that can also catch the ball out of the backfield. Devontae Adams is coming back. So the Packers are, are pretty much the team that they always are, except for the quarterback change now. Obviously, you're not going to expect Jordan Love to go out there and do all the things that Aaron Rodgers does. But I think, you know, you're probably just expecting a game where he's fairly conservative with the ball. He's not going to take a ton of chances downfield. Um, but against the Chiefs, you're like that's the beauty of this matchup for Green Bay. You can essentially just take what the defense gives you and the Chiefs will give you a lot. And I think Matt LaFord does, like I said, he does a really good job of creating positive scenarios for his quarterback where they don't really have to um, you know, do anything special other than make one to two reads and, and they kind of know where to go with the ball. So if I'm the Packers, I'm expecting Jordan Love to, to play a good game. And, and you know, he's had basically a year and a half to, know, you know, to learn the system. Um, he, he knows the players that he's playing with. Like He's had an entire week um, uh, uh, with first-team reps. So there's really no reason why he shouldn't play well. Be an intriguing matchup for sure. That one's in Kansas City, one of the 425 starts on a Sunday. Before we run down some of the other games, uh, Alex, uh, curious your thoughts on where Odell Beckham Jr. is uh, going to wind up being released by uh, Cleveland. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think the, the two teams that make the most sense are the Chiefs, who we've obviously already talked about. I think the Chiefs could really benefit from a number two wide receiver. And the Saints would make a ton of sense. Odell Beckham is from Louisiana. He went to college at LSU. The Saints have a massive need at wide receiver. And Sean Payton is the type of offensive, imaginative coach that I think can inspire Odell. The issue with the Saints would be if you're Beckham and you know you're going to be a free agent at the end of the year, I don't know that you really want to have a seven to eight game audition with Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill as your quarterback, particularly if Andy Reid is on the other line offering you a chance to play with Patrick Mahomes. So those are the two teams that make the most sense. And then I'll throw out the Seahawks as a wild card, um, just because the Seahawks have shown in the past that they're not afraid to make bold moves. Pete Carroll um, has no issue bringing in these eccentric personalities. Um, and, you know, the Seahawks, I mean, they're three and five, but Russell Wilson's coming back. And they're, I don't think that they're out of the race in that um, in the NFC at all. Now, the division might be hard to get, but I mean, the Seahawks are a team that could really use a third wide receiver. I don't know if Odell Beckham um, is going to light up at the possibility of, of being the, the third option. Um, but I do think that they're a wild card, particularly because the Seattle Seahawks actually have the cap space to just claim Beckham on waivers, and most other teams don't. But I would still say the Chiefs and the Saints are the two teams that make the most sense there. We shall see. Alex Chippen with us from the score. So, uh, marquee matchup has got to be the Titans and the Rams. That's a Sunday nighter, and it has all the earmarks of, of a classic. Rams are 7-1, and one, look just tremendous. Titans are 6-2 and two, and are looking pretty darn good themselves, winning four straight, including a win over the Buffalo Bills. Heading into the Rams game, Titans might be considered the best team in the minds of some people in the AFC over the struggling Chiefs and even the Bills. How good are the Titans, Alex? So I wouldn't go as far as to say that they're the best team in the AFC. I mean, this team still has issues on defense. They're not great at stopping the run or the pass. I'm still a little bit concerned about the pass rush. 
Um, Harold Landry is actually having a really good year for them, but uh, there's a lot of pressure on him off the edge. Um, I don't know that Bud Dupree has, has yet to be the player that they signed him to be. Um, plus, obviously, Derrick Henry is coming up, and for all the talk that running backs don't matter, and I'm one to spew that um, discourse, um, Derrick Henry might be the one running back that matters because his skill set is so um, unique. He is just a behemoth of a person to tackle. He gets stronger as the game goes along, and he can just move the chains by picking up two or three. Don't expect really any other running back to do. Um, so I'm intrigued to see what their backfield looks like. They signed Adrian Peterson. I don't think at this stage of his career, he's going to come in and, and be a guy that you hand the ball off to 20 times a game. And, and you know, when, when you look at, you know, a Jeremy uh, McNichols, a Darrington Evans, you know, these are really uh, unestablished running backs. So um, the key for Tennessee is going to be somehow replacing Henry with just a viable run game. Because Ryan Tannehill, he, he's a good quarterback, particularly off play action, which is something that they do really well. But to say that they are the best team uh, in the AFC, I'm not willing to go there yet. I don't think that they can score enough points consistently. Um, I don't think they can play defense well enough consistently. But I will say they have the type of team that they find ways to win games in different ways every week. They're a little bit of a chameleon in that regard. And in this game, um, you know, obviously – the Rams, like you said, they're coming in on a hot streak, just acquired Von Miller. So this is going to be, you know, really one of the, the, the most eye-catching games probably of the season, considering it's Von Miller's Rams debut, assuming he plays, and the Titans' first game without Derrick Henry. How do you stack the Rams up against the rest of the competition in the uh, NFC? At the start of the year, it was all about Tampa Bay. The Bucks are on a bye week, still an excellent team. But, boy, the Rams have certainly shown they can go toe-to-toe with anybody. Yeah, I think the Rams and the Bucks are the two best teams in the NFC. I, I think they've kind of separated themselves a little bit from the likes of the Cardinals and the Packers. But, um, you know, the Rams, to me, like the Von Miller trade put them ahead of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the favorites to come out of the NFC. They have two really good edge rushers, um, you know, and Von Miller's obviously, you know, among the best in the league, even though he's no longer, you know, necessarily in his prime. He's still really good. Aaron Donald is sitting there in the middle of that defense. They have the receivers. Matthew Stafford um, is just getting a little bit better every single week in that Sean McVay system, learning to roll out of the pocket. Um, and, and, you know, is a big play waiting to happen. We know that he likes to throw the ball down the field. So to me, the Rams have all the pieces. They have the offensive line, the secondary, you know, Jalen Ramsey's a guy that can take your best receiver out of the game on any particular week. They have all the pieces. It's just going to come down to, when the, when the lights shine brightest, uh, do the Rams. That's really what it's about. And, uh, you know, because we've seen it from the Buccaneers. But I do think that the Rams have separated themselves with Tampa from the rest of the NFC. Not much separation in uh, some of the other divisions, and there's no question the Browns-Bengals game shows how tight some of those divisions are. The Bengals 5-3 and three at home against the Browns 4-4. Four and four. They're, of course, uh, cutting ways with Odell, but the Browns still had some expectations heading into this season that they could be a team to contend for a division title. Ditto for the Bengals. Cleveland uh, has won five of their last six games against Cincinnati, but on the road, and there's a lot at stake in this one, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing for the Browns is they really have to get back to running the ball because Baker Mayfield, as long as he has this shoulder injury, and I know it's not just throwing shoulder, but 
as long as the injury is there, there's just not much that the Browns are going to be able to do in the past game. Um, he's really had to alter his footwork because he doesn't have the low or the upper body strength um, that he normally does. And so he's needing to generate a lot more of that strength from his lower body. That's leading to a change in mechanics, which is leading to a lot of inaccuracy. Kind of the Baker that we saw a couple years ago when everybody was all over him. Um, the Bengals have been really surprising. I mean, they are coming off a, a loss to the Jets, which is never good. You never want to hear that you just lost to the Jets. Um, and that defense did give up a lot of plays, um, particularly yards after the catch. So that's going to be something to look for. Jarvis Landry is, is a really good possession receiver for the Browns. So he's a guy that can get the ball and make plays after the catch. But um, I think this matches up well for the Bengals. I mean, they can run the ball as well. They have a really explosive passing attack. Jamar Chase is a shoe-in for rookie of the year at this point. And they have two other receivers um, that can really get the, the job done. Joe Burrow's playing well. It's, it's just about that defense. But I, against um, a team like the Browns, with Baker Mayfield unable to produce like he did last year because of that shoulder injury, I just don't know that the Browns have enough firepower to stick with Cincinnati. Another important game between two teams with identical records in this case is the Patriots and the Panthers. And Alex, I'm curious your read on Bill Belichick and the job he's done remolding uh, the New England Patriots. Uh, They've scored a lot of points from their defense this year. They're an improved team over last year. Some suggest, though, they're not any closer to being a playoff team than they were uh, last year. This is an important game for them as well on the road How good are the Patriots now, and do you think there's a potential for them to be better in the second half of the season? So I I really think that the Patriots' 4-4 and record really shows who they are. If you look at their wins, only one has come against a team that didn't start a rookie quarterback, and that was last week against uh, the Chargers. Now, the Patriots obviously played well in that game, and the Patriots have done a really good job of surrounding Mac Jones with pretty solid pieces. So, for example, they have a really good offensive line. They can run the ball. The receivers still aren't great, but they have two tight, two tight ends in John U. Smith and Hunter Henry that can at least provide some degree of support. Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, kind of the same as, at wide receiver. They're not, you know, stars per se, but they're certainly upgrades over what the Patriots had last year. Um, the defense, as it often is under Bill Belichick, it's a lot of bend but don't break. Um, you know, and the Panthers are coming in as as a team that, you know, has kind of been a turnover machine with Sam Darnold. So, I mean, this is a really favorable uh, matchup uh, for the Patriots, and that's if Sam Darnold even plays. I believe he's in concussion protocol. But as far as the Patriots' long-term prospects this year, I mean, I don't really see how they're going to get to be much better than they are because they just don't have a lot of explosive playmakers. And on defense, they struggle to generate pressure on the quarterback. So a lot of their success is going to be dependent on whether they can run the ball and um, defensively whether they can create turnovers because they're not a team that's going to force a lot of three and outs by sacking the quarterback or by forcing a lot of throwaways. And they don't have the receivers to create a lot of explosive plays downfield. So because of that, you know, I think like they have a, a very high floor, but a, a much lower ceiling because they just don't have these dynamic players that you really need to separate yourself in this league. 
Dallas Cowboys have uh, separated themselves from a lot of teams in their division and are really one of the premier teams in the league at 6-1, and one, especially when Dak Prescott is healthy and in the starting lineup. He did have full practice with that calf injury this week, but status is still certainly a question mark. They take on the Denver Broncos, and stats like this don't really mean anything, especially, Alex, since you know Denver and Dallas haven't played since 2017, and both teams have really turned over their rosters in the last four years. But Denver beat Dallas six straight times this one in Arlington what do you think well if you just look at the quarterback matchup Teddy Bridgewater versus Dak Prescott it's just a complete mismatch in favor of the Cowboys and Dallas honestly looks really good right now I mean the Cowboys usually find a way to screw it up that's kind of what they're known for but we haven't seen that this year they've got a ton of playmakers in the past game Dak Prescott is as dialed in as he's ever been. And the defense is forcing a lot of turnovers. So anytime you do that, you're going to have a lot of success. Now, they do give up yards, um, particularly in the past game. So this narrative that Dan Quinn has come in there and, um, you know, solved the defense is a little bit of a myth. But the fact is they do create a lot of turnovers and their pass rush has been, I think, a little bit better than a lot of people expected. Um, but at the end of the day, like I just don't know how the Broncos are going to slow down a passing attack with Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, even the tight ends that they have there are, are fairly decent contributors. Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, I don't know that he is necessarily uh, the most explosive version of himself, but he's at least been productive. And then Tony Pollard is, is a great change of pace running back. So there are just so many weapons for Dallas. And while the Broncos actually do have quite a bit of weapons themselves, Teddy Bridgewater is just not the guy to take advantage of them. So it's always going to be tough for Denver to win a game where they have to score, you know, 25 plus points. They're just not built to do that because of the quarterback they have. We'll see what happens on another busy Sunday coming up in the NFL. Alex Chippen, NFL editor of The Score, joining us to run down some of the key matchups on Sunday. Always fun to chat. Alex, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. That's Alex Chippen, NFL editor at The Score. I'm Roger Lejoie. Boston and Toronto still going at it at Scotiabank Arena. 12.26 to go in the second period, and they're still tied at one. Boston out shooting the Leafs 18-14. to Gord Stellick will get us all up to date when the second intermission hits on what has transpired so far at Scotiabank Arena. What has transpired so far and our show poll for tonight is as the night goes on it's interesting with these polls sometimes they're fairly definitive sometimes they're not they're very very tight this one started out early with most people saying they felt very comfortable about attending full capacity sporting or entertainment events but as the night has gone on there's still 54 minutes to go in the um, time the poll will be up it's a lot tighter now 29.2% of you feel very comfortable attending full-capacity sporting or entertainment events. Now, 27.9% of you identify as still a bit nervous. 24.5% say you're okay with it. And 18.5% just say, no way, I'm not going just yet. Interesting indeed. That's up to 46.4% of you are either still a bit nervous or no way you're going yet, as opposed to 53.7% who are either very comfortable with it or okay. 
Your comments have been great, too. We'll continue to read them. At the Raj 590 on Twitter, text 590-590 with your name and location. Email roger at sportsnet590.ca. We'll fill in more of your comments later in the show. We've got some Bills talk still to come. Gord Stellick on the Maple Leafs and one of the top interviews of the past week. Kelly McCrinnan was on the Jeff Merrick Show. All that's still to come. Sportsnet tonight continues. I'm Roger Lejoie on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Stargazing doesn't have to be boring. Not when you study sports stars. This, 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 this. It, it is Sportsnet Tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. When the night has come and the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see Sportsnet tonight, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Roger Lajoie with you on this Saturday night edition. Great to be with you. Maple Leafs lead the Boston Bruins 3-1 to one after two periods of play. The big reason was the power play. Make that the big reason. Austin Matthews on the power play. Joining us to talk about the first 40 minutes. Gord Stellick, you'll hear him and Brent Gunning with Leaf Nation postgame right after the game. Gord, always great to visit with my friend. And Austin Matthews certainly had the mojo going in the second period. Roger, did you say the power play? The yes. power play? Oh, the my goodness. Play, Gord. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. <laughs> Happy days are here again. The power play, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, Morgan Riley, the gang's all back, taking on the Boston Bruins, who, uh, although they've given the Maple Leafs so many playoff disappointments, it's actually a team that the Leafs played pretty well for a couple of years against in the regular season. So uh, for 40 minutes so far, with one period to go, um, happy days are here again, sweet memories, you name it. It's, uh, it's, uh, It's all come back good. Well, and you know, Gord, it's it's one of the things you can take it for what it's worth because it is worth a lot. It is good news for the Maple Leafs. The power play is working, but that is the way the Maple Leaf power play was always supposed to work, was it not? You mentioned the big players. You mentioned the big stars, and that was one of the frustrations of the Leafs, especially at playoff time. But in times when they didn't succeed is when you see them throw the puck around the way they do, how did they struggle on the power play for so long? Yeah, no, it, it was bewildering. It was really, really bewildering. I used to, I, I was kind of kidding up till, well, up till yesterday. Yes, no, but they, you know, I didn't even know what to say about the power play. I can't break it down. I'm not an expert like many others are out there. But you know, first, it, 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 it was the kind of thing that, that was. It, it was adverse momentum situation, right? There's nothing. You know, there's, it's one of the worst things. You get a power play the other night when they had a two man advantage for two minutes against Tampa Bay. And couldn't do anything, so it was it was really hurting you momentumized, I thought. And then the second power play was having some success, so they kept thinking, okay, to use the second power play more. And no, 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 these are the guys that are your power play guys. It's great if you have a one uh, B or a number two unit that can be complementary, but your big guns have to be your big guns. The guy that went through the New York Ranger lineup last night for the Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid, he's obviously their big gun and the Maple Leafs' big gun, uh, biggest gun. Has scored twice tonight, and uh, he the guy won the Rocket Richard Trophy. He scores a lot of goals. They haven't been coming this year, and uh, and maybe this will break the logjam. 
Well, without question, two for Matthews, two beautiful goals, his fourth and fifth of the season. And you're so right, Gord, it's stating the obvious. We talk about the big players having to be the big guns, but Matthews leading the way. Marner, we'll get to him in a second. He's got three assists tonight. He's been playing extremely well. Tavares was up to five goals. But, boy, good to see Austin Matthews scoring and getting those kind of definitive goals, uh, Gord. You know, like, I mean, there were just nice play off his skate to still control the puck in front and make the shot. Then far firing a howitzer that's the kind of stuff you expect from austin matthews well absolutely and you know he didn't play the first three games of the season then they were on the road kind of for a chunk that he was playing and i just noticed at home last week i just loved even though he wasn't getting the goals yet i mean he when he gets the puck he has such a command and like he he holds the puck as if it's a lacrosse ball and a lacrosse stick and yet you know there's so there's so few very few players that that can do that 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 just have that aura about them that sense about them that skill so you just knew that hey it's got to come and you mentioned marner as well I, I i think i think mentally he was for the first time in his maybe his career in his whole life he was pressing the guy's not used to not getting points he was number four last year in the nhl in scoring and uh, i i think that till he got that kind of strange goal that at least broke the you know broke it out for him broke the log jam uh, he probably was pressing a bit. You notice more the Mitch Marner of old tonight, that's for sure. Good jam in the game, too, Gord. You know, it's been so long, we took it for granted, maybe, that uh, I, I, you, you almost forget. Although, it's the kind of thing you know, but you need to be reminded of. I was talking to Brent Gunning about this in the first intermission. How long it's been since Boston and Toronto played a regular season game. We had the uh, the bubble, we had the uh, closed season, we had the Canadian division. And boy, I'll tell you, these two teams are going at it pretty good here tonight. Something like 700 nights since the last played the Boston Bruins. And, and Raj, you mentioned the Atlantic Division, like back-to-back games against the two big rivals in the Atlantic Division, Tampa Bay and Boston. And, and those games had jam that really, by and large, have been lacking in all the earlier games. It really did. Uh, it, 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 it had some intensity. It had a good vibe. Crowd's great. Like, you know, it was just the kind of buzz that wasn't there early in the season. And you're getting that now. And it's just after that game against Carolina, Carolina where – you know, Sheldon Keith, it was a head-scratcher what he said, but then you realize he's just being honest when he said, hey, we haven't played a team like that. This is a whole different level. You know, you spend a year in the Canadian division, and uh, and you're kind of thinking, wait a second, are you trying to say Carolina is in a different class than the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, what does that mean for Tor- for Tampa Bay and Boston as well? So uh, at least the Leafs as a team, you know, have, have responded and, and, and rallied and certainly met the challenge where they weren't doing that before. Don't want to jinx them, but it'll be a five-game win streak if they uh, hang on to this game tonight. Oh, I just, I just jinxed them. I know, know I know, I, I know, I know. All right, ignore that. Pretend I didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> playing well at home too is a thing we took for granted too, Gord. Every team is in the same boat when it comes to that. But boy, the Leafs certainly love that big crowd cheering them on again, don't they? Yeah, I've, it's always kind of bothered me that even when they've been better of late the last few years, they've never really made hay at home like you. you, you you wish they would, that you thought they would, because, you know, really elite teams, it's always been tough to go in their building. You, you have just kind of an aura, and why not create that at Scotiabank Arena? And, you know, they never really did it at Air Canada Centre or the one year at Scotiabank Arena to that degree, and, you know, still got a ways to go to see if they could do it here. But uh, I'm with you. You're back on a homestand, and usually a homestand is, uh, first of all, yeah, always take care of the of the crowd that pays good money for those tickets, Okay. Otherwise, as early in the season, tickets got a little little soft for a bit because, you know, uh, they, they want value when they go to a game, and they've been giving it of a late and, and uh, you know, get your, get your points. Like, the way Montreal is playing right now, I've said it for a while, even before the Montreal 
the season started. I just don't think they'll be in the playoffs. So it looks like you probably will have the four teams decided in Florida, Tampa Bay, Boston, and Toronto. So uh, if you're if you're in the hunt for a playoff spot, that would be a little bit. Uh, uh, I say discouraging, but it wouldn't be something that I would predict happening. So you've got to really go about orchestrate these 82 games and 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 get back at it for game number 83 in a real good place, so you can go uh, deeper than you have um, any other playoff. That's the hope for the Maple Leafs. First things first, this regular season continues as they take on the Boston Bruins. 3-1 after two periods of play. Power play clicking nicely tonight. Austin Matthews is a pair in the second period. Brent Gunning, Gord Stellick will wrap it all up for you on Leaf Nation coming up right after the game ends. Gordo, have fun. We'll uh, be listening tonight. Sounds good. Thanks, Raj. Thanks, Gord. Gord Stellick from Leafs Nation. Pre- and post-game coverage, I'm Roger Lejoie. Your poll... Opinions and votes have been terrific tonight. We are up to 411 votes in our poll tonight, and it looks like, with just 16 minutes left, the verdict is going to be that a slight majority of you are either very comfortable or okay in attending full-capacity sporting or entertainment events. 30.2% of you say you're very comfortable. 24.3% say, I'm okay with it. 26.8% say it's still a bit nervous. It's pretty close. And 18.7% say no way I'm going just yet. That's great feedback. It's honest feedback. Teams certainly appreciate hearing that. I know you look at the challenges that all of us face restarting businesses And in the National Hockey League right now, it has been challenging to restart the businesses. We've seen it here in Toronto and every other city. And now it's, I don't want to say obvious as to why, but 54.5% of you, a very slim majority, are comfortable or okay with going to games. 45.5% are not. That's a big chunk of the sports marketplace. At the Raj 590, you still got a couple of minutes to get your vote in. You can text 590-590 with your name and your location or email roger at sportsnet590.ca. Great to hear from all of you. Always great to hear from Greg Thompson. He's the host of Cover One, the Bills podcast, and he joins the show to help us talk about the Bills taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars tomorrow. Greg, thanks very much for being with us. Bit of an injury bug uh, starting to creep up with the Bills. Brown, Knox, um, some key guy is going to be out of the lineup against Jacksonville tomorrow, Greg, and uh, that's always a concern, is it not? Yeah, no, I always appreciate you having me on, Roger. And, uh, it's it's certainly interesting where you have the Bills have had close to the luckiest run in the NFL. Uh, I believe they have gone all season without putting a single player on season-ending injured reserve. Um, they've used a couple little pockets here or there. Dawson Knox obviously breaking his hand, and now Getting the run at one position is where it gets concerning. You can, you know, the Brandon Bean built a really deep roster that you can afford to be able to survive an injury here or there. But when you get to your second, third injury, all at offensive line, now you're getting into really further depths of that and really stressing that depth. And I think right now the lineup for tomorrow is manageable, um, but they're at the limit in several spots. And that uh, shows you over the course of a season, that's why you need depth in the uh, organization. Jacksonville doesn't figure to be that much of a challenge. One and six, the Jaguars are. And I think, Greg, you know, the level of confidence in the Bills has remained uh, pretty high. You know, they they had the loss uh, 
to the Titans that knocked them off the pedestal of being number one in the AFC, rebounded with a victory, and maybe just talk about where they are mentally as a team that's going through a regular season where the expectations are just so high. It's, it's certainly different, certainly for Bills fans. And uh, a game like this is, is a great example where for years you would have concern of, you know, are they going to be overlooking it? Is this a trap game? Is this something where they're going to get overconfident and be looking ahead? And one of the things, you know, you can certainly, you know, nitpick with different elements of Sean McDermott and how he's prepared the team. And are they always as aggressive as they need to be? Do they always come through in these big games? One area that you can really take some solace in they win the games they're supposed to. The games where they're heavily favored, where they're supposed to win, he does not drop those games. That they he is incredibly good at focusing on, you know, what many of us laugh about, which come off as just coach speed cliches, the you know, everybody has to do their one eleven you look at the gates you know, one game at a time. We don't look ahead. All you get to take every opponent seriously. Um, fans don't. I don't have to take the Jacksonville Jaguars seriously tomorrow. I, I don't think they're very good. But I'm really glad that Sean McDermott takes them seriously. They're going to come in with a, with a game plan. They're going to come in with the right approach of how to take advantage of a rookie quarterback, how to confuse him and put him in a tough spot, how to pick apart the secondary, how to go after them, just like they would approach the Buccaneers or how they would approach the Chiefs or how they would approach other tough games on the matchup. Um that's a great thing to have as a fan because, uh, yes, tomorrow should be a game they can take advantage of. And if you're not going to have good health, the time to do it is this stretch of Miami, Jacksonville, and, and the Jets. Well, no question about it. And, yes, you have to win all the games. There's the cliches that the, the coaches talk about. But uh, you are right. They have had that propensity of that's how you get to third. That's the difference between a 13-3 and three team and a 10-6 and six, uh, team is you don't lose to any also-ran teams. And, and Jacksonville is that. Jacksonville's obviously got some secondary uh, holes. It's struggled this year. You've got to think it could be a big day for Josh Allen and the offense for the Bills. But it's been the defense of the Bills, I think, that's been the, the story of of this season so far, uh, Greg, and maybe even as as long ago as halfway through uh, last season, it's if it's not the best in the NFL, it's 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 right near the top on most days. Absolutely, and you can pick apart just about any metric that's out there, whether it's limiting big explosive plays, causing turnovers, all the things that really impact where defense is, and then even some of the more standard ones, and just your yards allowed and, and points allowed. And they're number one in just about everything. And then you, some of the advanced ones that we use on the show where you use things like DVOA, which is, you know, adjusted for the opponents and, and more advanced analytics, they're number one there by a healthy amount. And when you add those things up, it's, it's really that discipline. It's that, you know, it, it, it's kind of boring when you talk about bend, but don't break. They do it to a really precise level. They keep everything in front of them. They rally and tackle to the ball. They, they don't allow those big plays to get broken off. And you saw, you know, if you ask Bills fans, you could think of one or two all season, the long Derrick Henry run, a very small, limited window of big plays that happen. Other than that, they, they keep everything in front of them. And then when you force a team to have to move their way down the field and their only chance to score are 13, 14, 15 play drives, they're just betting that, hey, at some point, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to have a penalty. You're going to have a sack. You're going to have a turnover. You're going to get behind the sticks. 
get to third and long, and we're going to be able to pin our ears back and come after you. And we're betting that we have the discipline to do our job more consistently than you do. Um, and, and so far, those bets are paying off. They are indeed, and uh, the Bills 5-2 and two heading in this week's game against uh, Jacksonville. Greg Thompson is the host of Cover 1, uh, the Bills podcast. You alluded to the you know the next stretch of games being fairly uh, light for them. I would agree with that, Greg. But even when you look at the schedule overall, and when you're a team like Buffalo, you expect to beat just about everybody, but two with the Jets, two with the Patriots in particular, division rivals you think uh, th- uh, they can beat. Are you confident that they are still going to wind up as a number one team in the AFC, especially given Kansas City already having lost four games? I know the Titans are the story right now, but and how important is that in the mix for the Bills in this regular season to get that home field advantage should they be fortunate enough to make another run towards the AFC championship game? I think it's critical. I do think it's incredibly important. I think that you add in two different factors. One, the NFL added that seventh playoff team in each side, which people focus more on adding in the team. A huge part of what it did was it took away one of the buys. There used to be two first-round buys where the first and second seed got a buy, and that buy is good. Also, from a health standpoint, most people focus on that. It's simply a game you can't you can't lose. You don't have to play a playoff team. When you're in that opening round, everyone that's in that round is a playoff team. They're a good team. You can lose those games. Good teams have lost those games. Uh, Tom Brady's last game as a Patriot was getting eliminated in the wild card round. Um, those are games that just getting that by, you avoid that situation. You get to get healthy. You get to get right. You get to just sit home and watch and relax. And then those teams have to come to you, and you get to be able to be the home team, hopefully for two more games in the division round and the conference championship game to go to the Super Bowl. I think that when you have a team as deep and as talented as Buffalo is, you're only going to be going up against teams like that in the playoffs. Baltimore's a very good team. The Chargers are a very good team. The Titans, if they were to get Derrick Henry back, are a very good team. The Chiefs, if they get hot and get healthy at the right time, are certainly a team you're not excited to, to play against. There are good, talented teams floating around there that you want every advantage you can get. And obviously having a loud, raucous crowd like Buffalo, not having to travel, all the benefits that come with playing at home is just that one extra element that you want. So, you know, you alluded to the the schedule. It's not a tough schedule. <laughs> you know, they're probably going to be favored in every single game the rest of the way besides one trip to Tampa Bay. Um, that's a, a pretty favorable setup. They're going to be in situations where there's some tough games, Indianapolis, New Orleans, some of the other, you know, teams that are playing well, you know, going to New England is never easy. Those are games that are going to be tough, but they're going to win an awful lot of them. If Derrick Henry had still been healthy, and Tennessee was at full strength and had the win in hand and had a one-game lead plus the tiebreaker, I would feel a little more anxious about it. I think that, you know, I, I hate injuries. It's the worst part of my favorite sport, but they happen. And that's simply the, the cards that Tennessee was dealt. They're going to have to deal with that the rest of the season. I think it's going to be tough for them to rip off, you know, that many wins in a row without their centerpiece. And I think that gives Buffalo an opportunity to catch and pass them to make it so that tiebreaker doesn't come into play uh, and be able to be in a position to earn a a really valuable first round by a number one seed. 
How do you feel about the Patriots in, uh, in the division this year, uh, Greg? Mixed results for them so far, but I've talked to a lot of people about them, and I think a lot of people think if there is a team in the NFL that uh, their current record reflects what they are, maybe it's the New England Patriots at 4-4, four and four, therefore the Bills really don't have too much to worry about. Uh, you talk about right at the start of our conversation how things have changed and the expectations, but the expectation is that the Patriots aren't going to be a factor for the Bills. Do you agree? So early on, I would say yes. You know, there were stretches where I think people were getting a little overexcited. Their only wins, you know, were against the Jets twice and the Houston Texans, and they had, you know, they gave Miami their only win of the season. So it was really hard for me to not take those into context when, yes, they were dominant wins against the Jets, but they're the Jets. You're supposed to be dominant. You're supposed to win handily. This last week was a little bit of a wake-up call for me. I, I think that, you know, going out to L.A., taking it to a talented Chargers team, I even thought they won more comfortably than what the score would indicate. It made it look like a three-point game. They were in control for the vast majority of that game. There's a chance they're getting some things together here. You know, you have – it was an odd spending spree, but they went on the spending spree in free agency. They added a lot of talent. Um, I think they overpaid for a lot of it, but they still added talent. And now you're starting to get that defense coming together a bit here. Um, I'm not terribly worried about Mac Jones, but he certainly looks, you know, more mature than his years and certainly looks like he can make some good decisions on the field. I don't think he has a, a, you know, incredible arm that's going to threaten you on the edges or or deep or anything like that, but he can get the ball out and make good decisions. Um, I think they're probably – it's pretty accurate. I think you said you the record is what they said they are. I think they're the kind of team that is going to beat bad teams because you have excellent coaching and you do have some talent. And then in most games with higher-end talent, they're going to fall short. And that's what they've done so far. I think that continues. But, you know, with seven teams in the AFC, there's a chance that they can sneak in there. You know, they wouldn't shock me if they end up 9-8 and eight or 10-7 or and, and, and snag that last playoff spot. But I think they're going to float around 500 the rest of the year. And I, I would be disappointed if Buffalo lost either game to them. Yeah, that's exactly where the Bills are these days. And it's a nice place uh, to be in. We're surprised they didn't make any moves to the trade deadline, uh, Greg. You know, I, I, NFL trade deadline quite often is, is a, a non-event for a lot of teams. It, it's hard uh, to make moves halfway through the season in the NFL, maybe compared to some other sports. But were you okay with that? Do you think there was anything on the table? Is there an Achilles heel on this team that maybe they could have at least tried to address? Um, yeah, obviously, you know, we hockey, baseball, basketball, the, the salary structure and the, the function of it is easier to pull off trades where you don't have all the dead cap space and all the nonsense that goes into that side of it. Um, so I, I always temper my expectations. There's a reason that we only saw a small handful of deals across the NFL. I was um, happy to hear that they were one of the teams calling about Von Miller in Denver. They were there. They said that the teams calling were the Rams, the Cowboys, and the Bills, that they were in on a deal like that. I like that they're checking around. I think it's okay that they were checking around when L.A. paid both a second and a third-round pick for a you know 30-plus-year-old pass rusher coming off a nasty injury. I think that's okay that they backed off. Um, as in everything in life, everything's easy in hindsight. Right now, I certainly wish he had gone for a guard. I, I wish that they had a, traded for uh, an offensive lineman. That was the one spot that I was 
anxious about and thought that we could have improved. Um, Andrew Norwell was a guy in Jacksonville we're about to see tomorrow that was a uh, undrafted free agent signing for Carolina. I really liked him. He's a veteran on a team not going anywhere, pretty highly paid, and I thought they might have wanted to get rid of him. Um, and obviously at the moment I was okay with it. Now seeing Feliciano put an injured reserve, you know, Spencer Brown out another week, these kind of things make me a little anxious that I wish they had to reinforce that a little further. But um, again, they, they built an incredibly deep roster. It would have been even been difficult to figure out who do you cut or who do you trade away if you're bringing a guy in. The team is that talented. So it's, um, it, it's difficult, but I, I wouldn't have minded if there was maybe one more reinforcement brought in. Yep, well, that's the case. Uh, the Bills still a nice position in the standings, in good shape as they head to Jacksonville at 5-2, and two, and we'll see about this second half of the season for the Bills. They certainly appear to be right still at the top of the AFC. Greg Thompson is host, Cover One, the Bills podcast. Greg, it is always fun to have you on our show. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Roger. I always appreciate it. Thank you. Greg Thompson is host of Cover One, the Bills podcast. I'm Roger Lichois. 4-2 now. The Maple Leafs lead the Boston Bruins at Scotiabank Arena. So the Leafs took a 4-1 lead. They were up 3-1 after uh, two periods of play and killed off a penalty in the early going. And the Maple Leafs are now up 4-2 to on Boston. Uh, still 11 minutes to play in that one, so plenty of time still left. However, we'll see how this one shakes down soon as the game is over. Brent Gunning and Gord Stelic have Leaf Nation postgame. John Tavares added his second goal of the game at 2.53. He's got six on the season now, so two for Matthews, two for Tavares uh, tonight, three assists for Mitch Marner. The big guys doing their job. Taylor Hall had the first Boston goal early in the first, and David Pasternak has just scored 8.29 into the third period. It's 4-2. Leafs over Boston will have full coverage uh, coming up. Our poll has just gone final at the Raj 590, and the winning choice to this question, which of these best describes your level of comfort in attending full-capacity sporting or entertainment events? 29.6% of you are very comfortable. 24.1% of you are okay with it. 27.2% are still a bit nervous. And 19.1% of you say, no way, I'm going just yet. So you think about that. 46.3% of you, of the 423 people that voted, close to half, are still a bit nervous or no way they're going helps explain the early season attendance problems in the NHL, NBA, and in other leagues that are trying to get people in to full capacity arenas. Great feedback from all of you tonight. Appreciate it. At the Raj 590 is where you find me on Twitter. Text 590-590. Name in location, please, if you are texting. And email roger at sportsnet590.ca. Mike in Keswick texts in and says, no way I'm going, maybe, when we hit herd immunity. So Mike is not going to take the chance. And a lot of people are in the same position you are, Mike. A lot of people are suggesting it's winter, it's coming up. I'm, we're not ready to jump into it quite yet. Slight majority of you are. And a lot of them are at the Air Canada Center tonight. And they're a happy crew so far because with 9.45 to play, Leafs up on Boston 4-2. Leaf Nation postgame coming up shortly. And we're going to hear from Brent Sobel, who is on the Jeff Merrick Show in moments. I'm Roger Lajoie. This is Sportsnet Tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.